It is uh, now cliche to refer to the period in which we live as the information age. We have more instant information available to us than any people have ever had in the history of the world, and we have it instantaneously. School children can, if they're able to comprehend what they're reading, within a few seconds have more data available to them on just about any topic than all the librarians in the world combined would have had available to them 50 years ago. Instantly. Information for anybody. The average North American spends 28 hours a week, 28 hours a week, either on the internet or watching television. And I think it was in 2006 that the average time spent on the internet began to equal and surpass the amount of time that people spent per week watching television. So it got to, you know, it got to the point where pretty soon more time, 14 hours or more spent on the internet, 14 hours or less spent on television as people moved in toward this continual information age. Which makes me think that there is an awful lot of input, but I would characterize this as the Cliff Clavin kind of input. You know who Cliff Clavin is. Master of lots of information. Very little of it has any meaning to anybody. And I never noted that anybody thought that Cliff Clavin was really the person to be friends with because of the information that he could spout. Did you notice that? The guy had all kinds of information right at his fingertips, but nobody ever said, that's the reason why I'd like to be like Cliff Clavin. Or nobody ever said, I want him to be my best friend because of all the information that he could spout. Information is sometimes nothing more than trivia. Isn't that what we say? It's like, and I thought of this one all by myself this morning, I kind of like this image. It's like writing with a pencil on a great big steel ball. Yeah, there's some kind of communication taking place. You can look at the print on the steel ball, but it's not going very deep and pretty easily wiped off. And sometimes I think that is exactly how our age is. Something is communicated, but it's not necessarily deep. It's not necessarily lasting. Now, you and I know that this affects uh, the lack of interaction that takes place between ourselves and our neighbors or ourselves and our community. Um, on my street, we have alleys. And there are lots of people who have garages directly off their alley. And so they park in the back of their house. A lot of times they go into the house through the garage that they've come to through the alley. And so you never see them. The fellow who lives immediately across the street from us and one house over, I think I've seen once in two and a half years. I saw him out mowing his lawn last summer. I just happened to kind of catch him. He was out there mowing his lawn. I think that's the only time that I've seen him, at least that I can remember. And that's kind of how uh, things are. I've mentioned before that when I was a kid, I knew virtually everybody on my street. So I wrote down the names. I, I, I think I've done this actually before. The Howards, the Rantas, the Andersons, the Chamberlains, the Steiners, the Tacys, the Lillies, the Schultzes, the Richies, the Salmons, the Lairs, the Vons, the Burrises, the Wrights, the Hazies. All of those families lived on my street when I was 12 years old. 
And I interacted, it seems like to me, I interacted with almost all of those families. seems like they all had kids, or at least most of them did. And the ones that didn't have kids, then I was usually getting in trouble with those families for doing something to their house or yard or dog or whatever. And so <laughs> they knew me, and I knew them. But my question would be, how many of you sitting here this morning can do the same thing? Like how many of you, I don't know how many this is, this must be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. 18 families that I could name on my street when I was a kid. And I'll bet you there's nobody here who can name 18 families on their street. Now maybe you can, but if you can, you would be a rarity. It just doesn't happen the way it used to. I remember as a kid, I rode my bike all over town. I rode it everywhere. I don't like it when Megan walks a block and a half from our house to the Sunridge Mall. I don't like it. And, and I tell her quite often, I don't want you to do that. Okay? But that kind of thing, it's just changed in our society. Things are different than they used to be. And here's my point. I think that there's an awful lot of people in our world who are crying out, for real contact. And I don't think for them that it's just real contact that they want. It's not like they just want to be in contact. They want something more real, something deeper than that. They want real experience with people. They want authentic meaningfulness. They want to experience something deep and profound and meaningful. They want to be, and, and I really think this is the case, even for my stoic Canadian friends, I think that people want to be moved to the core. I think it feels good when we are moved deeply by something that impacts us. There is something that makes us think when that's happening that we're human, that we're accessible, that our, that our lives are not made of concrete, but that we are in fact real. They want to get beyond the shallowness of investments. They want to get beyond the shallowness of even accumulating wealth or the drudgery of making ends meet. I think that's one of the reasons why I like Christmas time so much. It's a time when finally family gets together and for a few moments, hours, maybe even days, there is a sense of getting together and being family with each other. I think that's what I love most of all. Uh, Friday night, Robin and Megan and I went to see, maybe it was, yeah, it was Friday night, we, we went to see Marley and me. If you haven't seen Marley and Me, I'm about to ruin it for you, <laughs> okay? I've told you before that movies get to me. I, I, I read movies, or I mean I watch movies, and I am a typical kind of sappy American. I get all emotional. I've told you before that when the last episode of MASH aired, I remember sitting in the middle of my living room floor. Robin had gone to bed because she thought I was silly, and I sat in the middle of the living room fo floor, and I cried when MASH ended, Okay? Did anybody else here cry when MASH ended? Way to go, Wayne. Way to go, you guys. It's all men. It's all the men put their hands up. Way to go. Yeah. 
Did you see that? Aaron's thinking he better not have cried. Did you cry? Way to go, Sharon. Okay, so there are some end of mash criers, and I appreciate that. You know, we Americans, we cry when the president is sworn in. Probably some of you did that this week, too. And maybe it was just that we learned that when the United States government spent $150 million on an inauguration ceremony, maybe that's what made us cry. But anyway, we went to see Marley and me on uh, Friday night. And at the end, I just kind of looked at the audience because it was dead silent. Nobody moved and nobody said anything. Everybody just sat there. And it's because they were all crying. I looked around to make sure that no one could see me crying. Okay, but, but everybody was crying. And they were crying over the fact that there had been this family that had their life chronicled with the life of a dog. I mean, people are crying at the impact of a canine. And then what's amazing about it is it's Owen Wilson. Like, you don't think to yourself, I'm going to watch a movie with Owen Wilson, and at the end, I'm going to be crying. But you did. And in fact, you cried when you saw Owen Wilson, of all people, in a veterinarian hospital operating room, sitting and kissing his dog. And he says, as he looks at the dog, I love you so much. I love you more than anything. It was amazing. I think that the reason people cry when they see that movie and why we cried when we saw the chronicle of the life of this dog with this family is because we identify with what it means to have real experience. We identify with what it means to have real emotions. And if it's with a dog, so be it. As long as what we experience is real. Because we want to have and to share something that is indeed real. Most people don't put themselves out like that anymore. Most of the time we don't. We don't put ourselves out there like that. We're not as authentic as the world really needs us to be. And God, I think, is the prototype Obviously he is for what it means to be real and to be authentic. And what he creates with Christians is the prototype of what it means to be real and authentic. And he calls us to that kind of authenticity, to being real with each other. Now I'm going to play a clip from the movie Finding Forrester. Let me set this up. And and let me say too, I don't think that there is in this movie clip anything bad said. The movie Finding Forrester, uh, I think the reason why it's alliteration uh, at the beginning, or the title of the movie, Finding Forrester, it's alliteration with the letter F, and that letter comes up prominently in this movie, if you know what I mean. And so you have to be careful when you watch Finding Forrester if you haven't seen it, because that word is used. But this is a profound film. Something significant goes on here. And it's about an author, played by Sean Connery, who wrote a great novel many decades before, and now as an elderly man meets up with a young black kid from the ghetto. And the black kid from the ghetto has literary talent, and he builds a relationship with Forrester. 
the great author. Forrester has for decades been cloistered away in his apartment, doesn't go out, has his food brought to him, uh, everything is brought to him, delivered. He simply doesn't leave his apartment. But through a, a series of events, this kid starts coming to see him and they build a relationship. The kid ends up protecting Forrester from notoriety. Uh, he'd have a chance to kind of tell the world where Forrester is, this great novelist. Where is he now? The kid has a chance to tell everybody, but he doesn't tell. And so Forrester is grateful for that. The kid gets in trouble at school by a teacher who doesn't believe that he could possibly write the good things that he's writing. He accuses the kid of plagiarism, and Forrester comes to defend him. And that's the scene uh, that we're about to see, is Forrester coming to defend the kid. There's been a literary contest. Uh, the kid has put in a, uh, an entry to that literary contest. The literary, the, uh, those who are supervising the project assume he couldn't possibly have written this, so they don't allow his entry, and Forrester comes to defend him. Okay, lights, and then Colin will play this for us. Years. I'm that one. <clears throat> Losing family. Losing family obliges us to find our family. Not always the family that is our blood, but the family that can become our blood. And should we have the wisdom to open our door to this new family? We will find that the wishes we once had for the father who once guided us, for the brother who once
wish that was granted to me. So late in life, is the gift of, friend, of friendship. Mr. Forrester, I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone here in thanking you for this unexpected visit. The quality of your words is something we should all aspire to reach. May I ask, to what do we owe this honor? Professor Crawford, I spoke here today because a friend of mine wasn't allowed to. A friend who had the integrity to protect me when I was unwilling to protect him. His name is Jamal Wallace. Is a friend of yours? Yes. Yes, he is. I helped him to find his own words by starting with some of mine, and in return, he promised never to say anything to anybody about me. A promise which he kept. Mr. Forrester, while your visit appears to be heartfelt, I'm sure you will appreciate that it will not change or interfere with this institution reaching a fair and proper decision in this case. Oh, there's one more issue here. Those words that I read today, I didn't write them. Jamal Walsh did. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. What Jamal Wallace did for William Forrester was to be real with him, provide opportunity for him for genuine fellowship, for real relationship. No one had done that for him in decades. But this kid does, and it changes his life. We don't have time to show this, but at the end of the movie, there's this great scene as it finishes with Sean Connery getting on a bicycle, an old rickety bicycle. And he rides, begins to ride away through the streets of the large city with a song playing in the background. And you know that as he goes off into oblivion with his bicycle that his life has changed. And then you hear later that he actually ended up going to Scotland to see his family and he dies and ends up leaving a whole bunch of things to William or to uh, Malcolm, uh, Jamal, thank you. Um, but look at this from Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes, excuse me, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So they're praising God, it says, and enjoying the favor of all the people. The people liked them. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now what's happened here is that there is in the community of Christ genuine fellowship. There are real relationships. There are people here who said, I want to have something genuine, something authentic, something real, and they live this out amongst themselves. Notice it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And the word fellowship there is a word that says they were together. They devoted themselves to their sharing and relationships. And as they shared together in that way, their lives were changed. Now, I think we need to have that. We want to have that. But what's just as crucial is that we constantly make the authentic selves that we are available to our world. And in fact, help our world to be drawn in to the authenticity that we experience. Because the relationships that we share together are not just for us. There is a whole world out there who craves the authenticity that we share together. We're part of a church family, we say, and we love being part of a church family. I've told you before how wonderful it is, how crucial it is in my life to be part of a church family. And now this church family. And there are so many of you who would say the same thing, that this is absolutely vital to who you are. You have to have this. This is crucial for our lives. But we live in a society where people don't have this. They don't. Most people don't have what we have. And they don't have it with other people, and they don't have it with the creator of the universe. And we must take it to them. We need to take to them the good, good news of what they can have in Jesus. And so I'm imploring you today, I'm exhorting you today, I'm encouraging you today to say this. The beautiful thing that we have in Jesus and with each other through you needs to be made available to those around you. And you have a chance to be with them authentic. You have a chance to be with them authentic. I think they crave it. I think they long for it. I think that in an information age where we are an inch deep and a mile wide, they long for it. They want to have something genuine and authentic take place in their lives. And we are just the people to take it to them because of what we have in Jesus and the fellowship of Christ. We don't have any more time this morning. I'd love to talk about this all day. We'll 
talk in the future about the ways in which we need to go into our communities and talk to people about Jesus. But today, the word is authenticity. Can you be authentic with those around you? And can you take to them an opportunity to be authentic too? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to be with us. Thank you, Father, for your spirit who lives within us, for the fellowship that we enjoy through your spirit. Thank you for the ways in which we can be authentic. Father, help us not to be shallow. Help us to be deep. Help us to be profound with each other and in our relationships. And help us to build relationships with those around us, Father, that allow them to go deeper than they are now and to be approached in a way that draws out of them authenticity and real relationship. Father, I believe that's what so many in our world are craving. I pray that you'd help us to bring that to them. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.